Blast Episode 58, a sequel to The Rocketeer. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Listen up, you chatterheads. The Sequel Quest podcast is taking to the sky for our two-year anniversary show. Hooray! Today, we are finally taking on a movie that has been on our to-do list since the beginning. But first, allow us to introduce ourselves. Spy, saboteur, fascist, all of the above. I'm Adam. Wait, Over- wait, 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 wait. Let's wait. clarify. Adam is not a fascist. Adam is not in any way, shape, or form Timothy fascist. Dalton's character is a fascist, and I was merely quoting him. Oh. <laughs> Okay, over here, now he may not make an honest buck, but he's 100% American. It's Jeff. Yes, I'm in the mafia, apparently. (laughs) And uh, finally, the man who knows that if you borrow something and you don't tell nobody, they call that stealing. It's Jeremy. That would be true. And our (laughs) special guest host tonight is our own Lady Luck, who seems to join us for every milestone on the show. Welcome back, Judy! Hello! So glad to have you. You actually threw your hat in the ring here because you were so excited to talk about this film. Is that right? I know. I know. One of my favorites. But uh, before we get started, let's just say, you know, thanks to all the new listeners who have found us recently. We know Twitter has been more abuzz lately. We've been getting some great feedback. So thank you, everybody who's checked us out. We hope you'll go back to the archives where you can hear over 50 episodes now of our crazy movie ideas. And uh, for those who have been listening a little bit longer, you've been around, we have a lot more fun to come in the future. So make sure you're subscribed, keep telling your friends, because this podcast train shows no sign of stopping anytime soon. And we're excited to have you aboard. How's that? Jeremy, tell him what film we're talking about. Well, this would be a little film from 1991 called The Rocketeer little known, little remembered. I was under the impression as a youth that this film was a blockbuster and that it was in fact... It was uh, more a you know, bust at the box office. Right, that yeah, is false. Which is too bad. I mean, it was a major release. I mean, I was nine years old when this hit theaters in 91 and it was the third in a streak of comic book movies that ruled my preteen world. You know, it was there Batman <laughs> in 1989, Dick Tracy in 1990, and then we got The Rocketeer in 91. I was like, this is a super era to be a movie fan <laughs> and a comic fan. And, and, and uh, then there was The Shadow. Oh, The Shadow. <laughs> yes, go back and listen to that episode. I dare not begin speaking about it because I may never stop. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure there's at least three or four podcasts out there where you're talking about The Shadow. So. Yes, <laughs> try to shut me up. I dare you. But what about you guys? Everybody see this in theaters? Tell me a little bit about your history, Jeff, with The Rocketeer. You said 91, right? So I would have been 11. So, yeah, I didn't really go to to movies with my family much, but we did have the Disney Channel. And so this was kind of the best thing that the Disney Channel would ever show, because this is Disney's best attempts up until they bought Marvel, really, or they partnered with Marvel, at least, in the superhero genre, I would say, because... Better than Condor Man? That's what I was going to say. Something (laughs) to get into Condor Man, but yes, better than Condor Man. 
And, and it was definitely one of those movies that they knew it. Even though it didn't make a ton of money, they also knew it was their big one. So it was on Disney Channel all the time. I watched it over and over and over again. That's yeah. the same with me. They definitely got their money's worth out of playing it on their own channels a lot. That's where I remember seeing it, considering I was less than four when this came out. And, uh, yeah, is probably their best superhero thing besides the Incredibles up until they bought Marvel. See, you're making the kid cry. You didn't praise it nearly enough. Judy, can you tell us why you wanted to talk about The Rocketeer? Well, I don't remember when I first saw it, but I'm pretty sure we had a very well-worn copy of The Rocketeer that we had taped off the Disney Channel. And it was one of my absolute favorite movies for quite a long period of time in my childhood. And I think partly it's because, like, when I was even younger, I was obsessed with Peter Pan because the idea of flying was just the greatest thing I could think of doing. And so then this was like, look, it could happen. You just need to put a rocket on your back. And so there's this long, often told story in my family about how after seeing The Rocketeer for a few years, I would ask for a jetpack for Christmas, like every year. <laughs> I would only ask for one thing and I'd ask for a jetpack. And my mom was like, what? Like, come on. Like, I can't do anything with that. And then at some point, I, when I was a little older, I was like, you know what? This isn't working. Like, they're not getting me the jetpack. So I decided, I know, I'll ask for, like, an old vacuum, and then I'll just turn it into a jetpack. Because how hard could that be? So then there was a few years where I asked for a vacuum cleaner. For <laughs> the sole purpose that I wanted to turn it into a jetpack. So. Oh, Judy's Christmas list. We got to see that <laughs> oh, one wow. written down. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and it just has been one of my favorite movies for a long time and love the score. Like, it's one of my favorite film scores, and it's just fun. It's good fun. And I, I didn't even know it was a comic book until, I don't know, a few years ago. So Yeah, and I think I think most people were in that boat because, you know, I, I personally watched it a lot on VHS. We bought it. It was part of what I called our Sunday series of family movies because every Sunday after church we always ended up watching a movie that was set in the 30s or 40s so it was like <laughs> A League of Their Own or Tucker or this movie like my dad just loved that era so we were always watching those movies together but you know I remember seeing the the very art deco movie poster design and being very excited seeing it in theaters walking out being all about the Rocketeer but again yeah I didn't know it was a comic book I was just getting in to comics at the time and in fact the rocketeer jumped on the scene in comics in the independent comic scene in the early days around 1982 so it wasn't as though he was up there with batman or superman or even dick tracy any of these characters you know it was a limited series by a guy named dave stevens who was primarily you know a comic book cover artist he did lots of pinups of characters so kind of one-off drawings and the rocketeer was his special project and he really only managed to put out two complete series of stories over many, many years because his art style took a lot of time. So it wasn't like it was a monthly release or anything. I mean, it was literally years until the final chapter of his story was told. But I'm just curious, as far as the actual casting of the film and the actors, the performances. What are some of your favorite moments, guys, that you, when you think about this movie? Judy, is there a particular moment that stands out for you? Well, it's anytime he really gets flying, 
the first time when he's at the air show. It's just so majestic and fun and um, the way they filmed it where you're kind of like flying with him, that point of view camera, like that was just always to me was like just the best thing I could imagine doing was just flying. I think as a kid, like we thought it was very funny. Like when we watched it this last time, I'm like, it's not as funny as I remember. <laughs> but in, as a kid, I just remember my brother and I laughing so hard at that scene in the diner where they're looking for Cliff Secord and everyone's like, I don't know who that is or whatever. <laughs> I don't know why that line always made us laugh so hard. And yeah, Alan Arkin was always, to me, like so funny. Yeah, he's great as PV. You know, what's interesting about those flying scenes too, I always just assumed as a kid that everything was just a you know blue screen back then, not green screen like we have nowadays. Blue screen technology with just a guy on wires being flown around. But really, all of the flying scenes are done with a miniature. ILM just did it with the miniature work, and I was like, wow, because they made you know there's it has such natural little flutters of the legs and the arms. You know, you really believe that he's in there. Isn't uh, and I'm pretty sure, like especially that first scene where he's rescuing Malcolm. A lot of that looks like that's stunt work that they just what? had people with parachutes and like doing, you know, skydiving. Yeah, for that particular case, yeah, there there was a stunt man on a plane flying around, just holding on to it. But like whenever he's actually rocket packing around, right. you know, zipping around. Right. Well, like the one I'm thinking of, the one you know where he's trying to rescue him and then he falls off and then he like falls into a cloud right. and you see him fly back out. As far as I can tell, that's a stunt man with a parachute on his back, and that's pretty impressive. Yeah, until he hits the cloud. Yeah, right. then he comes then booming they, out yeah. of there. Some of the flying effects are a little hokey, especially when it's a stunt man on a wire. It kind of looks junky, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, but it uh, still doesn't look as bad as like the early Spider-Man movies. As in the '70s Spider-Man movies? No, obviously that yes, but <laughs> you're blaming Raby for bad effects. Uh, some of them are a little rough, a little clunky. Well, but... and even when I mean, some of these movies that have excessive CGI and it just looks like a computer game. Like mm-hmm. as much as I enjoy the Matrix movies, there's plenty of parts in the second oh, yeah. movie where you're like, oh, it's like a video game now. It's true. I mean, that's, you know, this was a special time on the cusp of the CG revolution. So we still got to enjoy all the practical effects. But what about for you, Jeff? Is there a particular character that stands out for you in the film that you uh, always enjoy seeing or connected with? For me, this movie goes hand in hand with The Last Starfighter. I watched The Last Starfighter and this one over and over and over again. And those two actors became synonymous. Billy Campbell with the Rocketeer and Lance Guest, Last Starfighter. And that, that like, everything that I'd see them in, it's like, oh, the Rocketeer's in this. Because they're so charismatic, both of them are in their roles. And even today, I was even reading that Billy Campbell was the director's first choice, but the studio didn't want him because he was a nobody. And Yeah, he was working at a renaissance fair. (laughs) He's so perfect, and he's so charismatic, and he's got the baby face, and he's so innocent, and he's just the fly boy. He just does it all so well. I have to say, the only person that has never impressed me in this is Jennifer Conley. Jennifer Conley is kind of like, like, when she made it big, I was kind of like, really? The girl from Rocketeer? All right. But, like... (laughs) They get Paul Sorvino, where is Paul Sorvino every mob boss ever? I think he is. Pretty much. The quintessential mob boss, and he's spectacular. Uh, Again, like Judy said, Alan Arkin, which now in hindsight, I'm like, 
Alan Arkin did this movie? Like, what, was he slumming? Like, come on now, this is Alan Arkin for crying out loud. Although now, in hindsight, understanding a little bit better the character and the personality of Howard Hughes, I don't know that uh, what's-his-name is actually accurate Howard Terry Hughes. Terry O'Quinn, he's Terry great. O'Quinn, thank you. Oh, yeah. He is great. I don't think he's Howard Hughes. I think he's more Howard Stark, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no. still yeah. works more. That's who Howard slash Tony was modeled after. So this was as close as they could get at this point. I mean, Howard Hughes was a wackadoo. I mean, like, you know, you go and you watch The Aviator and he's walking around with tissue boxes on his feet and everything like that. Another, and on, an obvious well, shout out. it was a out. different era of Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes wasn't crazy all the time. He was uh, crazy in the 60s when he moved to Vegas. That was, right. Yeah, he was, was at least eccentric, though. He was always yeah. eccentric. And Terry O'Quinn doesn't strike me as eccentric. But definitely the one, I mean, I've, I guess I've called out just about like all of the big ones, but you've got to <laughs> give a shout out to Timothy Dalton. Like you got to have yes. a good villain with a spectacular death scene. And oh, he nails it. Even though I think it's kind of one of those like, well, we got somebody with a foreign accent, right? Well, British, <laughs> German, it's all the same. <laughs> For me, yeah. I mean, Timothy Dalton is Sinclair. He's great, you know, in every scene he's in, just being so devious and two-faced. But the other actor that you mentioned earlier, Paul Sorvino, I love their interaction and how Sinclair is always tormenting his Eddie Valentine character, (laughs) especially like when he's intimidated. He's like, I want the rocket. I want it now. I'll double your price. Just get it, you know? And then he takes his fencing foil and uh, flips the carnation off his jacket you know and Paul Sorvino just pointing at him you'll triple my price just pointing at him with this like how dare you but I'm not going to do anything about it look I mean that is and then later on he's like you know I'll turn you in he's like who are they going to believe a cheap crook or the number three box office star in America number three jerk (laughs) (laughs) and it's that funny thing too which we can get into uh, Johnson as a director and that's one of the reasons I love that first Captain America movie because it very much felt like this same sort of a thing but he does enjoy the kind of cliche moments and paul sorvino does have the what is it i may not make an honest buck but i'm 100 american which yeah. is the like yeah get them mob guys and the mob <laughs> guys fighting with the fbi guys but he nails it he really does jeremy how about you your your multiple disney channel watchings what stood out to you when you went back to think about the film well i just rewatched this the other night and it was interesting i was feeling shades of current Marvel. I was feeling shades of The Shadow. I was feeling shades of almost Roger Rabbit at Mm -hmm. points. Just kind of over-the-top cartoonish portrayals. Granted, you can kind of guess where things are going really easily, but it still packs some heart and it packs some emotion, and I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, all those movies you mentioned, I mean, that was very much that era. They they seem to be exploring that time period a lot in films. So, you know, you're, you're definitely right. But, I mean, the original comics, that's what they were based in, too. I mean, it's a very, not plot-wise necessarily, but attitude-wise, it's a very literal adaptation of the comics and the way the characters were written. And, you know, it's interesting because Dave Stevens, he, as soon as he 
he created the character, he immediately got interest in it and sold the movie rights away. But everybody who was trying to make the movie wanted to make it a modern day story. Ah. And so they go, well, we're going to update it. You know, when it, it, the whole charm of it is that it's set in 1938. And the way that they finally got Disney on board, they said, look, it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it, Indiana Jones, those movies sell in that time period, that kind of serialized adventure story. So, you know, can you just trust us on this that people will be interested? And what I love about it is the first guy who wanted to make the movie didn't get it. So then eventually the rights averted back to Stevens. He gave it to this other group of these guys who I know as the creators of the 90s Flash TV series. So they're the ones who wrote it. They're the ones who really were out there pitching it to all the studios and got Disney on board. But I have the 20th anniversary Blu-ray. You know, I've had the DVD before that. I had the VHS before that. And there were never any special features, even though I remember there being a making of on the Disney channel back in the day, which you can find on YouTube now. But there was never anything. And I was like, why don't they celebrate this film in anywhere? Give us some details. But it, it was such a troubled production, aside for the fact that it only made six million dollars profit you know overall but it was just like apparently you know joe johnston and dave stevens were constantly fighting with the executives because like michael eisner wanted to change the design of the helmet to be like an astronaut's helmet just like a standard boring design and all that they were like deleting scenes and then they said no wait wait put that back in let's do a rewrite put that scene back in you know so it was just like back and forth constantly and i guess everybody by the end of it was just burned out and angry especially Joe Johnston. So then it was just like, oh, well, let's get this movie into theaters. It's not doing well. Fine. Forget about it. That's how it felt. Well, so our DVD, which probably the same thing, does include the special features of French language pack, theatrical <laughs> trailer, and chapter search. Oh. Well, and it even says, like you're saying, Adam, it, it, and I don't know if you had the same DVD where it does list a quote by U.S. Magazine it's Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Top Gun. <laughs> hey, uh, fair uh, enough. Whatever you got to do, right? <laughs> that's true. But I do yeah. want to throw out one more, and I know Judy kind of mentioned the score. And it's really interesting, especially today where score is, I mean, we live in a, in a Hans Zimmer world where score is our mood. Whereas back then, in the John Williams era, I feel like the score was part of the story. It was a storytelling element. And so all of those flying sequences would have been completely different without that huge, big James Horner score behind it. One of my favorite parts about Captain America, again, a Joe Johnson film, is the closing credits. Because the closing credits is just the bump, bump, but I'm a bump, and like the big march and everything like that, that really drives home the heart and the theme of who Captain America is supposed to be. The score is something special, and in fact, you know, where... The movie was mostly forgotten. Even the 20th anniversary, they did very little. The 25th anniversary, Disney did a screening at the El Capitan in Hollywood, where a lot of the cast and crew got together to celebrate the film. But again, none of that appears on any special edition Blu-ray or DVD for you to enjoy. But the thing is that the score was the one thing that did last, that Disney did keep. And Jeff, do you remember where you could hear the score at the Disney parks? Wasn't it? Well, I know one was flying over California, right? Yep, soared over California. Soaring over California, yeah. yeah. California Adventure. Yeah, it would always be like, oh, it's the Rocketeer's. Or, oh, why isn't there a Rocketeer costumed character walking around? That would be <laughs> awesome. But then nowadays, I think they're starting to work back in a few little things here and there. Because the film did have a cult following. 
you know, despite how it maybe turned out financially at that time. But the other thing, too, is, you know, we talked about the studio interference that they were going to take it in a weird direction, whatever. They did make two improvements, I feel, uh, or rather one change that I don't mind and one that I think was huge, which was the main difference from the comics is that in the comic book, Betty Page, who, if you don't know, she was a cheesecake lingerie model, you know, in the 30s and 40s. Warning to those of you who choose to Google her. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> but that was literally Dave Stevens. Just he drew himself as Cliff Secord and Betty Page as his girlfriend. <laughs> and so that was like he was like, I, lo- I was in love with her all my life. I said, well, let me put a brunette in here. Yep, there she is. And so in the film, obviously, to Disney fi it, to make it family friendly, they changed the character's name to Jenny and just made her an actress. So which I never actually thought about it. Jennifer Connelly is Jenny. I didn't right. think didn't realize they shared a name until just this moment all these years (laughs) i don't pay attention to the details i'm glad we have this podcast for you to realize those things adam weight off my mind but also the rocket pack design in the film is so much better than the original comic book design which was a single purple rocket ship looking thing it was like very flash gordon sci-fi he's got like rings on it and it just it looked real goofy and in the movie it's this double chamber steel with rivets you know it's it's so iconic and classy i think they really did do something special with that because he just would have looked really silly you know to to have a purple rocket on his back the whole movie but let me ask you guys this too do you remember at the time any of the merchandising that surrounded the film did you end up judy loving the film as much as you did did you guys ever end up with any in your collections you know we did have like a rocketeer action figure guy who was maybe like seven inches tall but it wasn't like movable it was more rubbery almost like strong but not really stretchy just like that kind of weird rubbery stuff and yeah hollow rubber yeah yeah so i don't i wonder where that ended up it might still be at my mom's house i'll have to check <laughs> we had that but i don't think we had anything else I yeah because I, I i had that too i and i remember being so disappointed because you could you could move his arms but they were still in the hands on hips position so you could move okay. them out but they would still be bent and it was really awkward and yeah you could yeah. move his head but he couldn't do anything you just posed him but i just remember being really sad i was like oh i want to play with this but i can't yeah it didn't really do much we did get i'm not exactly sure where this came from but we do uh our son atticus we should mention a few Future host of Sequel Quest (laughs) with us in the background. You've heard him up till now, yes. Does have Walt Disney Pictures Presents The Rocketeer, a golden look lookbook. Copyright 1991. That's the adapted story of the Rocketeer with the full-on pictures of, although Cliff looks nothing like Cliff. I think that's PV, and PV looks nothing like PV either. But yeah, it goes all the way through the story and, and you know, all the full pictures of sinking the Zeppelin. There's no swastikas, though. Oh, no, there's <laughs> a swastika. found it (laughs) now i remember the one for me that really stood out was they had a tie-in with pizza hut for their little personal pan pizza kids meal and you could get a your your own pizza in a rocketeer box you would get the you know those little kind of styrofoam flying planes that you could get that would come in like a paper sleeve and then you'd put them together they would zip around so they had that but it was in the shape of the rocketeer so you could make him fly around 
But the best part was this custom cup is this plastic, you know, golden yellow cup that was molded to be the iconic helmet design. It had the fin and everything on it. And I loved that cup. I thought that was like the best collectible I got from that era. But what happened actually was my buddy, Chris, that I hung around with, he was a year older than me, but he was getting into comics and his dad had started taking him to all these comic shows and things and they started inviting me along and then i remember i went to his house one day and they had this gigantic collection of every rocketeer item that had been in stores just piled up on top of their tv it was like the shrine to the rocketeer and he had the original comics and i just remember my eyes just going so wide and being amazed by that experience and so as a special bonus episode, I actually, after 25 years, tracked down my friend's dad, gave him a call, and interviewed him about that collection. What drove him to it? What were, you know, the most rare pieces he had? You know, coloring books, watches, trading cards, whatever. And so there's a little interview that you could look for after this episode goes up. It's really fun. And as a special bonus, he actually still has that collection He's put some of it on his eBay store. He's an actual antiques dealer now. And he's giving a special discount to our listeners. If you give him the offer code sequel quest, you will get a discount on the Rocketeer merchandise. So listen to the bonus episode to get all the details on that. Two-year anniversary celebration. All sorts of surprises. And I know we've been throwing out a lot of character names. And we didn't even get to Lothar the giant (laughs) henchman who folds people into pretzels. I'll just mention fun fact real quick. He is actually based on a real actor who is a guy named Rondo Hatton. His most famous film was when he started as like the villain main character name called the brute man. But basically he was a guy who had, I never know how to pronounce it. It was like acromegalia, but like kind of a gigantism pituitary gland issue. So he used to be a normal guy, very handsome. He actually won handsomest boy in his high school days. (laughs) He was a reporter and all this stuff. And then he just, he got it. And all of a sudden, yeah, just, deformed him and so eventually he just said well might as well get some work in movies they need bad guys i'll play the bad guy you know so he made the best of it but so like the makeup effect is you know literally just a guy's face who really existed he wasn't wearing makeup back in the day and then they just recreated it for the film yeah but jeremy why don't you give us the plot so we know where we're starting from and where our pitches are gonna pick up to the rocketeer Hot-tempered airplane pilot Cliff Secord discovers an experimental rocket pack stolen by mobsters and becomes a high-flying adventurer known as the Rocketeer. Secord joins government agents and Howard Hughes in an attempt to stop a Nazi plot to create an army of flying soldiers. Can the Rocketeer rescue his girlfriend, Jenny, while stopping the schemes of the evil Neville Sinclair? Find out in this action-packed adventure set (laughs) against the backdrop of 1930s Hollywood. Sounds good. It's exciting. Is is he hot-tempered? I think so. He punches that FBI guy. (laughs) But it's always the same guy, and he always deserves it. I'm pretty sure Ed Lauder really was asking for it. <laughs> but I mean that that was kind of I that's more pulled maybe from the comics because in the comics he was always just getting upset, he was always breaking up with Jenny, always or Betty in that case. Anyone want to volunteer for the first pitch? Well, I'll go first because 
I gotta put this little guy to bed. That's the baby, here. not me. <laughs> just to clarify. Should... Yeah, I kind of came up with my idea just in the last couple hours because I just really wanted to join in the fun. So I was thinking of starting off kind of like Rogue One because they have that line where Howard Hughes says that the film cost a man's life to get out of Germany. And so it starts off with like a flashback showing these two kind of spies trying to get out of Germany with the film and one dies and the other one makes it with the film. But he also had with him a prototype from Germany that actually worked because you see in the film they had had a successful one so he stole it so that they wouldn't be able to succeed in making a bunch more and somewhere along the way it gets hidden or lost and he's the only one who knows where it is and he kind of leaves it that way because he thinks it's just too dangerous a thing to have in the world but somehow the secret of where it is gets passed down to his daughter and so then you skip ahead and we're a few years after the events of the movie. And because of the plants that Jenny stole, PV has made a little special forces unit of all these rocketeers. And Cliff is there, but because of his kind of goofy, undisciplined personality, he's not one of the like soldiers. He just kind of is a stunt flyer for the Rocketeers. So he knows how to do all this cool stuff, but they never let him do anything. And he just kind of shows up once in a while to like give a pep talk. And he's just really bored with his position since he's not really flying or competing or doing anything. But one of the flyers is the daughter of the spy because she was so inspired by the stories from her dad, but she still kept the secret. And so at this point, something happens where they find out that the Soviets are, because, you know, now it's the Cold War, so the Soviets are trying to do something with rocket packs and a nuclear bomb and maybe a spy infiltrates the rocketeers and kind of kills them all except the girl. And so then she goes to team up with Cliff to go to retrieve the hidden German rockets and together they defeat communists something like that <laughs> as far as I got. and there's tons of really cool stunt flying because in this movie I noticed for the first time and Jeff kind of pointed it out I'm like he's not very good at flying most of the movie <laughs> like that whole scene in the um South Seas or whatever it's called uh Club. he's really incompetent <laughs> like like what is happening so in this one we'll have really cool stunt flying and tricks and just yeah lots of cool stuff so that's my story. That's my pitch. Yeah, that's a cool awesome. thread to pick up on. Yeah, just to kind of grab that little tidbit that was dropped. Definitely taking that Rogue One feel. I can see that. Right. And with that, I am going to exit, and I'll catch this on the podcast, the rest of it. All right. Thank, Thank you, you Judy. You know, I, I should mention as we get into this, there is an actual report of a sequel in production. We didn't get to that. Correct, uh, but it's more yeah. of a reboot. Yeah, I've heard yeah. remake. The basic synopsis I heard said that there may be some element of Cliff Secord having been lost during World yeah, War II. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so that might be, but it's mainly about a new squad of rocketeers. It would be called. So, but I don't think any of us are pulling from that in our pitches necessarily, though we may have been aware of it. I have a casting choice if we were going to reboot, but I'm not planning a reboot, so I won't spoil that okay. casting choice at the moment. Well, Jeremy, let's hear yeah. yours. You want to yeah. go? 
All right, all right, all right. Here we go. So, opening scene, black screen, classified, East Germany, March 10th, 1964, comes typing across the screen. A reconnaissance bomber on its maiden voyage, flying high over Europe, along the border of East and West Germany. The three-man crew inside are discussing the new plane's design and capabilities, mostly worried and joking about it, lacking any firepower whatsoever. Why send us to the battlefield? Well, seemingly on cue, the plane starts taking fire from the ground. They try to correct and dodge the incoming munitions, but it's too much. The plane is coming down, and fast. The three-man crew radio back to HQ and tell them that they don't think they'll make it. They grab their chutes and fight for the exit as the plane descends to what they believe will be their doom. One jumps and the chute opens. Then a second jumps and his opens. The third jumps and his chute tangles, <gasps> catching fire in the rapidly descending plane. No help. No one on the way. We drop to the ground seeing a heavily armored, masked Soviet sniper listening to the frantic radio chatter. Then, satisfied with his work, he begins packing up his gear. We hear chatter on the radio in the background, tension building, scenes flashing back and forth to the other soldier's point of view, with all the sounds melding to a deafening silence. As we brace for the inevitable, fiery crash that awaits our soldier, out of nowhere, a unique roar fills our ears. We don't catch but a glimpse of it from the parachuting soldier's view. A streak racing through the skies. The parachuters share a look of disbelief. We return to the doomed soldier's point of view, and he gets freaked out as the thing buzzes past him frighteningly fast. Then he hears a voice, looks around, figures he must be hallucinating. Then he sees it. On his shoulder, a man. A tiny man. Almost, but just barely bigger than an ant. Man. <laughs> this ant man cuts him loose to free falling to his doom. That's when he's caught by the Rocketeer. Once on the ground, the three soldiers are safe, and we see the ant man grow. They're then sworn to secrecy by the Rocketeer. Flash to present day, Hank Pym turns to Scott and Hope from the black and white playback on the projector screen. There's a brief exchange discussing the strategies used between Hope and Scott. Then Hank takes back over the discussion to tell them about the stories of the long-lost first hero, the Rocketeer. The screen fades to black and white as we head into the memories, then to that kind of semi-sepia-toned color like the original movie. And throughout the movie, we'll see Howard Hughes and Howard Stark team up to build the reconnaissance bomber from the opening scene. And of course, they're quarreling over whose fault it was that it went down. And since we're post-World War II, we can't be punching Nazis. <laughs> well, we could. <laughs> but that's uh, that's kind of the hint that I'll give you. Hmm. Wow, yeah. I, I never thought about it being part of the Marvel Universe, but with Disney owning it, it just makes so much sense now. And Bring there's, back a comic there's book so hero. much unwritten history that it would just slot in without really any 
wrangling of timelines to deal with. Well, at the same time, too, like all the, the flying scenes in the first Iron Man always reminded me of the Rocketeer. So because what is what is the Iron Man? He just has rocket boots instead of a rocket pack. Right? It's very similar. So, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That'd be a cool uh, team up eventually there. <laughs> Find a way. Maybe, maybe like not. It. We have to vote for your pitch. I know how exactly. it goes. All right. <laughs> Adam, what do you have? All right. Well, mine is simply titled The Rocketeer 2. And uh, it's now 1968. Howard Hughes is a recluse in his Las Vegas hotels. He was seen attempt by one of his personal assistants to seduce him into showing her the rocket pack. But mm. Hughes tells her it was destroyed years ago in Hollywood. She then administers a truth serum to him, causing Hughes to reveal that an engineer in California had drawn up his own plans once. This woman named Lydia ends up being a Russian spy who's planning to arm communist forces to invade the USA and tells her underlings to head for California. So we learn then that Cliff and Jenny have been married for years, living in Las Vegas where Jenny is an aging showgirl running and starring in a burlesque review show at one of Hughes's many casino hotel properties. Wow. Oh, jeez. And okay. Cliff, meanwhile, has been Howard Hughes's hand-selected personal pilot since he got back from his service in World War II. But Cliff is frustrated because he hasn't been called on to fly in five years because Hughes is just up to his crazy hermit-like behavior. But he's still on the payroll and he makes a comfortable living. Too comfortable. Spends most of his days gambling. Spends his winnings on fuel to fly his personal plane, which he likes to take for trips through the Grand Canyon or maybe go visit PV in California. But through a series of events, Cliff discovers Lydia's communist plot, which actually involves taking the president hostage via rocket pack. Oh. This all comes to light when PV is attacked during a visit that Cliff makes and the plans for the Cirrus X-3 are stolen. So Cliff returns to Vegas to tell Hughes what has happened. Hughes reveals that he had his people find the original rocket after Sinclair crashed and burned, which he repaired because he dreamed of finally getting the guts to fly it himself someday. Before he leaves, Hughes asks Cliff to tell him again what it's like to fly like a bat out of hell. So strapping on his old jacket and helmet, Cliff discovers that the pack will no longer start. So he returns to see Peavy, who warns him against doing anything crazy and to leave it to the authorities. So, of course, Cliff gets Peavy to hold the controls while he free falls from the plane down into the Grand Canyon in a crazy attempt to get the turbine spinning fast enough oh, to get it up to speed, which it does at the last minute. And he comes flying out of the Grand Canyon with many tourists snapping photos and taking video footage. So Cliff takes off to the side of the Russian rocket pack test flight, but he's bested by a female Russian rocketeer who turns out to be Lydia. During a tussle in the sky, Cliff only survives thanks to PV catching him in the plane. So after this incident pv agrees to help cliff he's modifying the rocket pack and he's going to outfit cliff's flight jacket with a couple weapons so when reports of a flying man hit the news jenny knows exactly what is happening scolds her husband tells him he's too old for this stuff and he of course says i gotta do my patriotic duty here i gotta beat the commies jenny don't you understand so after storming out to huff jenny is eventually taken hostage by the mafia who don't like that hughes is buying up all the casinos in vegas forcing them out so they're holding his premier showgirl hostage cliff tries out his new weapons like a grappling hook and a 
little makeshift taser while he's fighting the mafia goons and rescuing Jenny. He gets her to safety only to find that the couple are then going to be captured by the Russians. So Cliff is being beaten senseless by Lydia, who then sees it's time and takes off to capture President Lyndon Johnson, who's visiting all the Nevada military installations. But the Russian spy is intercepted by the Rocketeer. Huh? And the two battle across the lights of the Vegas Strip. Halfway through the fight, the helmet of the Rocketeer is removed and we see that it's Jenny who is strapped on the rocket pack to get vengeance for her unconscious husband and defeat the Russian. It mm. does so by crashing her into the casino showroom where Jenny's uh, review is performed and electrocuting the villain in the lighting rig. So reunited in the auditorium, Cliff and Jenny embrace as Howard Hughes finally shows himself in public, taking back the rocket pack and telling them both, you're getting too old for this. Ah. But maybe I'm just old enough. The film ends on top of a Las Vegas hotel as Hughes takes to the sky triumphantly, disappearing into the night as credits roll. Wow. <laughs> All right. Was he ever All to right. be seen again? That's the thing, right? Uh, that's yeah. the, that's Rocketeer 3 go? right there. That's yeah. the death of Howard Hughes. <laughs> that would be amazing. Well, old man. Four years early. Old man Rocketeer. Yeah. Yeah. All righty, Jeff. So I didn't get a chance to fully look into classic Rocketeer comic book stories because, you know, I would always go with what's already been written. Of course. But I didn't. So I apologize to all you Rocketeer comic book fans. You're going so original I, then. Yeah, exactly. So what I would go for is Rocketeer 2 takes place five years later. So it's 1943. The movie opens in a club in France where there are Nazi officials that are celebrating and partying and doing sort of stuff like that. We see the camera kind of comes in on important looking officials uh, and they seem to be discussing plans for some sort of new weapon. While this is going on, all of a sudden this dashing Frenchman kind of sh comes in or this dashing man speaking French, I should say. And as the camera pans up, we all recognize that it's actually Cliff Secord. And Cliff like, kind of charms his way around the room and does his own thing and then overhears what they're saying, ends up excusing himself, breaking into a room and he finds these plans. And just as he's about to steal them, there's a burst in at the door and the, the, the Nazis have caught him. So he runs and sprints up to the, the roof where his rocket pack is waiting for him. He dons his rocket pack and the Rocketeer escapes. And then we find out after that through a, a montage series, the Rocketeer Cliff has now been recruited into the OSS. Uh, so he is a spy working for the Americans and the Rocketeer has become a hero spying and doing this sabotaging and whatever behind enemy lines against the Nazis. So then kind of the crux of the, the story is that we get wind that there's this huge big thing that the Nazis are planning and they have developed this new gas that they want to call sarin gas and apparently this gas is so deadly that it would make any future plans that the allies are starting to work on for an invasion would make them useless because they could just drop this gas weeks in advance and you know it would kill instantly anybody who so basically we could yeah the, the allies couldn't invade if the Nazis do actually figure this out. So this was like a job for the Rocketeer. So they send Cliff. Cliff goes and he's investigating and everything. And when he finally finds the lab where all of this gas is supposed to be, he finds that it's empty. And instead of actually being this, it was actually all a fake just as a trap to trap him. So they do. They trap him. They take away the rocket pack. And some, I don't know who this character would be, but a Nazi person would then take the rocket pack and start 
flying around as the Rocketeer. But now the Rocketeer is working for the Nazis. And so, you know, he's undermining the the, the Allies' efforts and he's, you know, doing all this sort of stuff like that. Uh, so the Rocketeer has all of a sudden become a bad guy. And so back in the United States, they hear about this. And so Cliff has been thrown under the bus. And so people are like, oh, my gosh, he's a traitor and blah, 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 blah. But back in the U.S., Jenny doesn't buy it. And Jenny believes that there's something else going on. And so she seeks out PV, who then seeks out Howard Hughes and says, this can't be Cliff, that something must have gone wrong. But nobody else believes them. So what it ends up becoming is because Howard Hughes is too public a figure, uh, is that it comes down to PV and Jenny, who have to somehow get over to Germany with all of Howard Hughes kind of comes up with all of his little gadgets and gizmos. Maybe that's how they get there in the first place. He creates some sort of a secret plane thing. And anyway, so they have all these stuff that Howard Hughes and PV have worked together. And so in so doing, they end up finding Cliff, freeing him, and they bring him a newly made jetpack. So he puts the jetpack on and then he goes and he seeks out this fake rocketeer and the two of them battle in midair. They have this epic battle that ends up, yeah, with Cliff defeating the the fake rocketeer, proving that, oh no, this guy was actually the fake. And then the rocketeer ends up coming back to his heroic status and then we win the war. Hooray, USA, USA, USA. Oh, I like that switcheroo there, though. Yeah, imposter rocketeer. I wasn't expecting that. Kind of like yep. who stole the Ant-Man. We do have a lot of those, don't we? Because you've got Jenny as the rocketeer. So someone mm-hmm. else needs to put on this rocket, clearly. That's what we want to see. Give the people <laughs> what they want. All right. Down to the vote. Adam, where do you stand? You know, it's one of those things where there's a little bit of everything I enjoyed in, in people's pitches. I think it was... Pretty exciting. Lots of different angles, yet, you know, kind of swirling around similar themes. But honestly, uh, Jeff really won me over with Nazi Rocketeer. Like, I, <laughs> I love that idea that, yeah, Cliff now has to fight for his reputation in addition to saving the world and what can be done there. That's pretty cool. Like, I, I just I'm imagining that battle in my head right now. And definitely it's got to be at some major crossroads and, you know, gets it all the, the news film reels or whatever. So anyway, Jeff gets my vote. And right. the Nazi Rocketeer. Yes. Jeff, where do you fall? <laughs> Even though I'm very intrigued because, and that was the thing that made me gasp, is that I, I wish that Judy would have been able to hang out just like three minutes longer. Because if she would have heard your pitch, Jeremy, <laughs> then as soon as you would have said Ant-Man, she would have just, because that's her favorite. It's both of our favorites uh, to a certain extent. But for me, the Marvel crossover thing, yeah, that feels like a little bit of a stretch for me. So I would I would go with, with Adams. Uh, I, I think that transferring to the communist villain i think works well i think what the little one has a vote oh you can hear that oh i'm sorry that's on the monitor <laughs> i was gonna say it sounds like he's radioing in from behind enemy lines and that he was that he was let me mute that it's a family show now folks all right so i'm torn on which one I want to go with because I do like the having to fight for his reputation. Also, I like elements in Adam's pitch because elements of his would meld well with my own because they're in approximately the same time period. So uh, I think in the spirit of the Rocketeer, we'll have to go with Jeff. 
Oh ho! But I think I'll th- I think I'll package mine up and send it off to Disney and cross my fingers. <laughs> right. It is. It would be an interesting way of kind of pumping life back into it by crossing it over into the Marvel world. Because that was the one thing I was thinking about too in watching this is that like Adam was saying like. This came out in a very different era where there was still superhero movies, but it wasn't like a genre like it is now. So I, I really wonder how The Rocketeer would work in today's culture. If this movie would have come out two years ago, I, I, I don't know. That'd be interesting. Well, yeah, well, I mean, the period piece, I mean, sets it right. apart on some level. Well, like although, again, Africa, Captain America, which, by the way, you know, we, we said, again, same director. And that's why I feel like they feel very similar. That Very first true. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that would be kind of the angle that I feel that it's going. Yeah. But it's also kind of like, I don't know if taking away the Nazi bad guys is going to do it any favors, much like we've right. seen with the Indiana Jones Indiana franchise. Jones. I was thinking you the take out punching Nazis. <laughs> the films don't do so hot. It's true. I was totally, I have to admit when you first uh, mentioned this spy, I was thinking about what's her name from crystal skull. Right? Oh yeah. Like, uh-oh. Kate uh-oh. Yeah. With Kate Blanchett's like very awkward Russian accent. I thought, hello, Mr. Hughes. Well, I was, see, I was imagining somebody a little bit more stoic, more along the lines of, who was the evil henchman girl in Deadpool, Jeremy? What was her character name? Do you remember? The one who, like, bites oh, Colossus. Oh, yeah. She's super buff. She's, yeah. She was a female MMA fighter for a while. Yeah, like, she, yeah. she did, like, didn't Steven Soderbergh do a movie with her where she was, yes. like, a, a spy or something? So I, I was thinking of her because she's just so intimidating. She doesn't have to say much. You know, she Wait, just... Is that Ronda Rousey? No. No, no, no. no. Okay. I think it's she's Gina fully available. Thing. No. I can't yeah. remember. Gina <laughs> On this kind of... Carrillo? Carrillo? Yeah. There we go. Something like that. But sorry, Gina. We didn't go with my pitch. You're, you're out of work. Unless we want to get a tough Nazi girl in Jeff's pitch. <laughs> That's what it's Well, missing. that was... I did leave that vague, and I don't know. Could you do a male rocketeer fighting a female? That was what you had, right, Adam? Yeah. Fight each other? Yeah. Well, Well, you had female fighting female, right? Yeah, well, like, right at the end. But, like, initially it was, but she bests him. Like, she beats him. That's where I think you're allowed to do it, is when, like, the female actually overpowers the male on some level. Then when they come back, you don't feel so bad that they're punching a girl. And if she's a Nazi, you never feel bad about the Nazis. Right, right. Instant Uh, pass. It's true. It's true. But I do wonder, and that's the thing even that I'm thinking about, what does a mid-air battle look like between Rocketeers? Do they yeah, just float midair and punch each other? Do they just kind of like, it's like jousting where they go and they kind of fly <laughs> straight at each other? Well, that's I what I think know. would be creative. Yeah, because the the fight scenes in there, which that's why I wanted that in my pitch, because we just we didn't get to see anything along those lines. Yeah. And usually when he was flying, it was kind of goofy. I think like Judy mentioned earlier, he was just having problems. So I wanted to see, like, I like your pitch because now he's been doing these missions, yeah. you know, and he's seasoned. He knows what he's doing. And then meanwhile, you got this, you know, expert imposter who's going to take over, you know, and, and also probably has, you know, been doing some sort of training you know right. i got, got the hang of it and so i like the idea of like you know they because they could be like fighting and they're ripping pieces off and beating each other with the plane parts you know well, yeah i was kind of thinking of almost like return of the jedi with the uh speeders through the forest 
thing. Mm. So they're side by side, yeah. and they could be like oh, weaving gotcha. in and out of like buildings or whatever. But then you're right, like that would be interesting. Although if you're flying as fast as they are, you're not gonna grab stuff off a building. You would rip your arm off, and so <laughs> right. that, well, that, they, that they, they would have to hover, like you said. There'd be a little bit of hovering there while they yeah. plan their next move. <laughs> yeah. But even just trying to like ram each other into buildings, because I mean the flying is what's really impressive to have. Mm-hmm. And you could do so much, it do it so much better now with CG, you know, yeah. like at least more fluid, make it work a little bit, easy, you know, easier uh, on or screen. Or even better green screen. I mean, you look at the flying, even though there were so many problems with Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, but the flying that Superman does, you know, like it's come a long way doing the, mm-hmm. the wires and the green screen and all. But I mean, I also liked how you you know you very easily worked in you know PV and Howard Hughes gets it on the act and Jenny you know like everybody's got their part to play in getting Cliff set up again so he can save the day. So, so it's you, not like it's just Cliff overseas. You know we don't I, see everybody else. Okay. So you feel like that was that that wasn't too much to have PV and Jenny going into enemy territory to rescue him. That works for you guys. Well, I, was, I, I wasn't sure about that. It did for me because the the, the thing was in uh, Jeremy, it was your pitch where was it wasn't your pitch where uh, PV has been tra- no that was uh, Judy's pitch where that like they've Judy's, been yeah. trading all the the Rocketeer squad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That to me seemed like a little bit too much. It's like well, I don't know, if, you know, they're gonna let PV be in charge of all that. Uh-huh. But in this case, where it's probably like. Howard Hughes has influence with the government. He, I'm sure he could get him over there type thing. Like, that's where it made sense to me. That, oh, yeah, well, if Howard Hughes is signing off and helping, then the government's all about it, you know. All right, so the only issue I do see with your pitch there, Jeff, is five years after. Does this mean we need to recast? Or oh, are we gosh. just going to have a... Uh, almost 30 years older Billy Campbell. <laughs> right. Well, and that was, I was thinking about that too. Cause then the one, one of the reasons I want to do five years later is cause yeah, 1940, that puts it to 1943. So that's, that's right around the time, right? 43. Yeah. That's right around the time when the OSS was doing that sort of stuff. So it's a year before D day. And um, yeah, cause then you go a whole lot later than that. And then, you know, the war is over. Um, but yeah, Billy Campbell. Gosh, I love Billy Campbell. And he does somewhat have a baby face. But right. yeah, to convince people he's only five years older, whoo. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a tough sell. That might be. <laughs> and see, well, that's that's kind of where I think Adam and I both had the right angle on it, putting it 25, 30 years later so that it's Billy at almost the end of his right. Rocketeer career. Although at the same time, like we have done before, we could say this is a hypothetical. They should have made this 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Ah, so, yeah. Right. So this we would could, have we been could have the that cop out. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, you're right. Because that is definitely a struggle, and that's I'm sure that's what the whole that's part of the rationale now. With the only option is to reboot because Billy Campbell just you know. But it is the thing too. I was looking at pictures of Billy Campbell when I was asking that question. He's still got somewhat of a baby face. He had a crazy baby face back then. I mean, he looked like he was like 12 in some scenes. In but some now, scenes and others he looked like he was like 35. 
Well, see, there you go. So then if, if we just capture those scenes and we can the lighting right, yeah. today, we're fine, you know. The DP can figure it out. No, because I, I was thinking that the way you could justify it also is just to say, like, he should be kind of haggard. Like, he's been right? all these missions he's been going on. It's probably been a couple of years. It's just it's nonstop taken for taken a toll on his body. Exactly. So I, mean, I would he, say no. the other secret is a beard. Because you put facial hair, and who knows how old they are. As long as the facial hair's not gray, he could be 25 for all we know. Yeah, so that the one uh, area I was just a little bit fuzzy on again is, so the Nazis just captured him, basically? That's how they got the rocket pack? Like, I was trying to figure out, like, the whole, how did they end up with the rocket, and then how does he get free to where Hughes and everybody you know, is able to outfit him again. Like, right. That the so, part. yeah. So the way that I had it was that they laid this trap for him. So they came up with this like super thing that only the rocketeer. And again, I came up with sarin gas, but the only the rocketeer could save the day and he had to be there. Uh, and so it was a trap that they set specifically for the rocketeer, capture him, take the pack away from him. As far as how PV and Jenny then find him, uh, I mean, like, that was my thought is that then Howard Hughes has designed a rocket pack uh, or, well, PVN Hughes together, and that's what they bring to Cliff. How they find Cliff, I mean, I guess that could be a portion of the movie is their search. Yeah, I mean, that could be a, a little part of it. I, when they capture Cliff, I want it to be with a giant magnet. They, you know, like, like he's there, but they pull him up with a giant magnet, and then they shake him loose, you know, out of the straps. Wow. <laughs> or, I, I mean, I, I would be down for if, yeah, he breaks into the lab, and then there's nothing there, but then, like, the floor is magnetized. Yeah. So then it's kind of just like, ah, ah, and he's, like, trapped on the floor, and then somebody comes in wearing slippers or something like that. <laughs> I'm down for that. <laughs> He also Fair. has to have a history with the Nazi rocketeer. So a few of his missions or whatever, we need to see that he's like humiliated that guy and his superiors are on his case and that now he can redeem himself. Because may maybe he takes it upon himself to capture the rocketeer and get the rocket pack to make himself a hero in the eyes of his Nazi superiors. What do you think about that angle? Just so there's a little bit more of a personal struggle in the story. So wait, 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 go back. So some Nazi whatever guy like views the Rocketeer as like his enemy or his rival, and so exactly. he sets a personal mission. Yeah, so it's to more to capture it's more, and so become him. Okay, so we have a solo bad guy, not just put a, the Nazi. Put a face exactly. to the yeah. Bad guy. Because yeah, he's been disgraced that. and, you know, the Nazi leadership have like, you know, yeah. said like, you're, you're no good to us now. So he's all bitter. Right. So he's going to do all it right. himself, you know. Which could them. be like we could do with like that opening sequence where he steals the plans or something like that. Like this could be their their weapons developer or, or whatever it is mm -hmm. that, yeah, he always seems to be foiling I like so that. Who, who who could play that? That's what I want to see. Because I mean, pretty much everybody else were mostly, I'm sure, trying to bring back and see if they could fit the roles. And if we got to de-age people a little bit, so be it. But I always think I probably shouldn't, but I always think of Christoph Waltz. He's always the one I'm. I know, think but of. it's so cliche. Get the only it German is, actor in Hollywood he, anybody cares about. It's true. Well, though the other <laughs> one, it's funny too. We were just watching Valkyrie about the, the assassination mm -hmm. attempt of Adolf Hitler. And it's funny that the entire movie, you've got Tom Cruise, 
everybody else is British for some reason, even though they're playing <laughs> Nazis, except for the one guy who's like the one other, and Judy always remembers his name, uh, the one other German actor who's always the German guy, because I don't think he can do a non-German accent. Udo Kier? No. Is Not that, Udo? No. Oh, is that his name? Hold on a second. Uh, no. Because, yeah, I feel like before Christoph Waltz, it was Udo Kier who always seemed to be the German guy. Or you could just get the German guy from Wonder Woman, but he's old, too. That's why I was hoping not for anybody too old, but maybe that could play into it also, is that the guy is not only is the Rocketeer always foiling him, but he's also kind of at the end of his career and people don't trust him as much anymore. But that might be too much Incredible Hulk abomination type thing. The guy's just feeling worn down and wants to, you know, get the power. Is he a scientist or a soldier? No, I I, I think he's a soldier, but maybe he was, whenever they developed a new weapon, they always go to him to be the guy who uses it. You know, like they always trust Mm. him, but the Rocketeer is always stopping him every time they're trying their new weapons and they're starting to blame him about it or something. Sorry, I'm still, I I have to find out this guy's (laughs) name. It's going to make the other German guy. The other German guy. Rutger Hauer, Jeff. That's what you're looking for. Thomas. Kretschmann, Kretschmann, Thomas Kretschmann, who you may know from Wanted or King Kong or no. some other film. Hostel Part 3, Cars 2, he played the voice of Professor Z. <laughs> Actually, you're right, though, because he is middle-aged or whatever he is, but he's got a good look to him where you could say, okay, he's a good Wild Chicks in Love. He played Christian Slatberg. He was the captain in King Kong. That's who he was. Hmm. Oh, you guys know him. He's what's his name? He's in the Marvel movies who died, like, almost instantly. He was uh, Baron Von Von Strucker. Strucker. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. That's who he is. So you guys, huh. Okay. So he's already auditioned as evil German guy. Good. Exactly. Well, again, because he's the other German actor <laughs> in Hollywood that everybody knows. I hear no objections. He's got the part. Congratulations, Thomas. We'll get you past Christoph Waltz yet. Okay. So now we can continue. Now that I've gotten that <laughs> off my neck. Okay. So I'm sorry. I overheard you guys were saying that like, so he's more soldier than he is scientist or more scientist right. than he is soldier. Okay. I, I, li- I like it more that he's got the combat side to him than just, you know, I'm the scientist and I'm not getting respect. And now I have my technology and I will fight them. Like, I don't, I don't like that as much. It's, I want a tough guy. Which, not... By the way. And this is the question I asked the last time I saw the Rocketeer, the guy on the Zeppelin, who's always, yelling at um, <laughs> the at other Timothy Dalton. German yeah. guy's We're, deal. Who is Where, that? Uh, did anybody else get a Judge Doom vibe <laughs> off of him? <laughs> With the glasses and black hat. Baron von Rotten. And yeah. Judy's like, oh, he's the scientist. I'm like, what? Based on what? He's just <laughs> he's just angry, and then he gets shot and falls out of a Zeppelin. He's the poor man's tot from uh, Raiders. Oh. You know, it was just yes, so. Long tot, yeah. So as long as we don't need that guy again. I don't want him to be the villain. Too creepy. Too just like bizarre. Like what's what is it? What, where is the rocket? It's like, oh, <laughs> all right, all right. Take take it easy. Where is the rocket? Oh, oh. Can we get one of those guys in there somewhere? And it, so his name was I thought his name was Luther. His name wasn't no. Luther. Lothar. 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 The Can we get like Lothar's like wife yeah. or Lothar's sister? Lothar's sister. Just the just right. the same makeup effects but with a wig. Exactly. <laughs> well, what's her name? 
wasn't that what's her name from the West Wing that played what was her name in Harry Potter that was Hagrid's like girlfriend who was the giant? Oh yeah. Well, I've not watched the West Wing, but I remember that actress from Harry Potter. She'd be good. But there she's not go. actually super no. giant, right? They just if that's shot her, her that then that's way. definitely not. She's tall, but not that tall. Get anybody and yeah. shoot them from the floor or yeah. do your uh, Lord of the Rings effect. Elijah Wood, yes. Bigger. Just make Elijah Wood seem like he's seven and a half feet tall. <laughs> Elijah <laughs> Wood with the Lothar makeup on. That's true. What if we stick with the Disney thing and we, we find a professional wrestler? Wait. We, uh, Kevin Nash, or is he still are alive? You, Kevin didn't Are die. you under the impression that Disney owns the Cena. WWE? He's a good actor. No, no. No, he's already going to be in Ragnarok. And not only that, he is not a Lothar. No. Hulk Hogan's still kicking around. Oh, Hulkster. Terry, now we know your secrets and we didn't want to know them. I don't think we need the Hulkster in this one. No. If only Roddy Piper was around, I'd like to have him. Just because. He'd just be one of the Rocketeer's flight buddies. He's hanging around with them all the time. Because I like the idea that the Rocketeer has a crew, you know, that, like, does maintenance and whatever. You know, like, they're kind of like his howling commandos. Who's the guy Uh, in the chair? (laughs) But that's what I was thinking is, what if he had Eddie Valentine's kid? or something out there with him you know so there's a mob connection but he's not a bad guy you know he's like you know yeah that's that's my dad's all involved with that stuff it's not for me you know that kind of thing where he's just an actual really good guy but you have a little bit more of a connection to that world from the first film just for fun yeah jenny has a brother maybe jenny's brother's out there with him the only tough part is is that and like that was the thing that they did okay in Captain America, but I think there was some complaints about it too, is that they didn't really have any time to develop the commandos. Yeah, it so it was basically you remember uh, Dum Dum because he has his ridiculous facial hair, but then everybody else just kind of blends into the background. And the Asian guy. I'm from Fresno. Yeah. Uh, Who's in Spider-Man. What was his character's name on Last Man on Earth? Oh, uh, he tried to learn how to fly oh, yes. and then crashed. Yes. <laughs> and then his eulogy was he wasn't ready uh, but yeah that would be my only concern is to introduce all of these characters and would they have enough time for you to get to know them in some way unless you made them caricatures which you could i mean again yeah, you got the bob yeah, it's, it's not about them i mean it's right. not ultimately but they but they're there because you know again you you want him to not be like oh he just sits alone until they call him out to go save the day like what does he do in his off time you know there's got to be those are the people he's commiserating with where you see that he's haggard and worn out you know he talks to them writes a letter to jenny there you go Um, i want the demolitions guy then to be simon pegg just cuts you know you throw him in there can't go wrong he's probably a fan you know just like everything else i'm a fan of this put me in it's true uh, but yeah but, you could have yeah you get again the kind of the caricature so you got to have like the sniper guy who's good at shooting people and uh, a demolitions guy and then i don't know well, but i think also now again we're making the effort of bringing hughes and pv and jenny over to germany wartime yeah. germany i think jenny needs to have like a mission where she goes undercover again in like you know a cabaret and she has to go, like, get some information or something. Or, or, like, at the very least, you know, evil German guy, you know, Nazi rocketeer. He has a girlfriend, you know, that's really snotty. And eventually, you know, uh, Jenny just punches her out. You know, like, just something for her that. to do. You know, Jenny it's has true. her moment. 
that is the one thing, and I know I was complaining as we were watching it, is that Jenny is one of those, it's that sad thing about far too many movies, is that the female love interest, the female character in one of these movies has so little contribution. They're just there to be the damsel in distress, and they don't actually, I mean, I guess Jenny hits Lothar over the head with a vase at one point and and then hits Timothy Dalton over the head mm-hmm. with another vase. But that's about <laughs> all she's good for. Weapon of choice. And, right. then, and then she comes up with the great idea of shooting Timothy Dalton with a flare gun in a, <laughs> in a zeppelin. zeppelin. To give her a little bit of redemption, like, I'd be down for that. So, yeah, let her use her, her talents and her brains or whatever. Yeah, just just something, something fun like that. And honestly, the other side of this, too, is if you can't get Jennifer Connelly back, let's get Linda Cardellini in there because she basically looks like Jennifer Connelly from 20 years ago. <laughs> so I think it'd be awesome just to put her in and she can fill the role. I think that'd be fun because I well, like her. Jennifer Connelly's still on the Marvel or the Disney payroll. She was just in Spider-Man. Oh, that's a good point. She was yes, Karen. her voice. Yeah, her voice work was excellent. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and not only that, like I, my guess is, is that well, and I, I, I don't know why I'm guessing this. I have no reason to base it <laughs> on reality. But if you get Billy Campbell and if you get Alan Arkin back as well, then you would assume there's some. Even though Jennifer Connelly is now the big name of of all of them. You know, a little nostalgia. The last thing we need to figure out then is, are we giving it a subtitle? Like a more dramatic type of serial, you know, like, you know, Imposter Strikes, you know, The Rocketeer 2. Nazi Strike Back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would think, and you kind of mentioned this, Adam, too, is this idea that, like, what one of the things that's kind of neat about not only the movie, but even the way that the movie was advertised, maybe not well, because it didn't do very well, was this idea that it did have a very retro feel. So like if we could come up with a name that kind of fit that, so it would sound like a serial from the 40s or something like that, I think that would be cool. Yeah, like, you know, Rock Tier 2, Call to the Skies, or Danger Above, or something weird like that, you know, like where it's sky-themed, since that's... Behind Enemy Lines. Oh, that's what I thought of. And then Owen Wilson's like, hey, can I, you guys got a part for me? That was my Owen Wilson. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? His one action movie turn back yeah. in the 90s? That was Wasn't weird. that with uh, Gene Hackman and they were trying to rescue him or whatever? Uh, yeah, but I'm pretty sure Gene Hackman was the one called the shots, tried to get him back. Right. But yeah. Right. But, but yeah, like Skies of Danger. There you go. Well, so they did a mini series called Rocketeer Cargo of Doom. Yes. They did Rocketeer Ooh. Hollywood Horror, Rocketeer and the Spirit Pulp Friction, <laughs> and then the Rocketeer Jetpack Adventures. Maybe not that one. Rocketeer at War just came out two years ago. Rocketeer King of the Rocket Men, Radar Men from the Moon. Zombies of the Stratosphere. Wait a minute. Now now you're just listing things that influenced the Rocketeer. Oh, the you're Rocket right. Men, I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought those were... Rocketman from the movie Commando Rocket Cody. That, that was like totally Dave Stevens just stole okay. Commando <laughs> Cody and created the Rocketeer. Just like he just said, oh, I'll just put Benny Page in here. Like there's nothing wholly original about the Rocketeer <laughs> ultimately. It's an homage to old movies. Some like sort zombies of... Zombies uh, of the Stratosphere. <laughs> 
I'm down with behind enemy lines. Something well, unless I'm else. saying it's been done. That's why I felt like more like Skies of Danger or something. Is, it sounds like you're saying pulpy and old school. Because behind enemy lines, yes, but that's not really what it's about. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's not so right. much about him being trapped and trying to get out and all that stuff. It's The, you know. the Rocketeer Redemption? But it feels a little too new agey. I mean, you're modern, right. That, yeah. that, accurate, that accurately describes what we're talking about. But if you're going for that throwback, I feel like the words doom or danger or mm. something melodramatic like that. <laughs> so there was a, hold on a second, I'm sorry. There's a glossy trade paperback called The Rocketeer, Cliff's New York Adventure. Now that right there, <laughs> Cliff in Germany. There you go. <laughs> Cliff's German vacation. <laughs> sorry, Jeremy, what were you saying? I was thinking along the lines of flight, maybe the Rocketeer Rise and Fall. Rise and Fall or Flight of Doom. Flight or Fight. Fight or Flight. Come on. You listeners, you tell us what the Rocketeer (laughs) subtitle should be here for the sequel. Here we go. PV's Big Adventure. Oh, that would be the the short film, right? Like the Marvel short films. That would be what they pack onto the the Blu-ray. The one shot. And the, yeah, that's PV going to the German cabaret and uh, the flight <laughs> district. <laughs> All right, well there it is, the Rocketeer too, Nazi Rocketeer. We got to take him down, USA, USA. It's a very patriotic film. I mean, obviously, I think we're assuming Joe Johnston has proven he could still get it done, so we're bringing him back. We're not trying to get Michael Bay there doing no, his Pearl Harbor this project. I did it once. That would actually be, that would be really interesting if he's just like, yeah, well, I still got all those files from Pearl Harbor. I'll just work that in here. Rocketeer at Pearl Harbor. There we go. Well, I, I don't know. I hope that the new actual sequel that gets made comes out as something of interest, that it's not just forgotten kind of like this one was, where it's just like, up, oh, it happened. Bye. I, I hope it kind of strikes a chord. But the way they're angling for it with a female Rocketeer-led story, it sounds like it's very much in the vein of one. Wonder Woman and Tomb Raider and these other female action hero films. So hopefully uh, it can catch that zeitgeist and be part of the cinematic discussions of the day. Yeah, along that lines, the one reboot casting of Cliff that I see that just Mm -hmm. jumps out at me is Chris Pine. Oh, uh, he'd be fun, man. And, I would. I know Jeff's always anti-Chris Pine, but yeah. I enjoy him. Yeah. Well, you get what you get with Chris Pine, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know. He, it's like one element of what Billy Campbell brought. Like, you do get some of the charm, but not the charisma. You get the charisma, but not the charm. Yeah, I don't know. I, you I'm kind of torn on it. You get one you get or the, the boyish other. good looks. But not the lovability. I do not love Chris. If Pine. only I'm Bruce sorry. Campbell was thirty years younger. Bruce sure. Campbell was the Rocketeer. Oh, that would goodness. be fun. <laughs> Are they related? I've always thought they were related, and I confuse their names. Great casting choice. Don't worry, we don't have Billy Campbell. We got Bruce. Do we know if they're related? Are they related at all? I, I guess my family could be related as well. I mean, we, Jeff, you, you didn't yeah. throw your hat into the ring. I, well, Campbell Smith. I threw my thing away when I got That's married. So I'm you sorry. blew it. You had my a sacrifice. Chance. <laughs> uh, I have an an answer to that. Uh, oh, here we there go. There seems to be a mistake on IMDb that lists Bruce Campbell as the second cousin of Billy. But Billy has since stated 
they are not related. There's oh. so many Campbells in the world. They can't all be connected. No matter what <laughs> conspiracy you want to throw out there, all the Campbell conspiracists. Well, and there you go. So the, according to, what is this, Yahoo Answers, no relation between the two outside <laughs> of similar-sounding names. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Malevolent Captain Tar. All right. Well, folks, again... Like I said, make sure you go and check out our bonus episode interview with a Rocketeer collector. Vintage merchandise he'll be talking about. We get into some pretty interesting stories, stuff you probably wouldn't expect in addition to talking about the memorabilia itself. And like I said, you can now go to his store and you'll have to listen to the episode to find out how to get there. But you can get a discount on, I know there's like some Rocketeer watches, there's some storybooks, there's a whole lot of magazines, which I actually want, so I may get to them first, but like magazines from that era all about the Rocketeer and some of the comics, so some pretty cool stuff up for grabs. So make sure you uh, keep an eye out and tell your friends that this is the show to listen to week in, week out. We are here for you, trying to bring the fun and the funny. But happy two years, Jeff. Happy two years, Jeremy. To you as well. And with that, the podcast is dead. Tell him Howard Hughes said so. Wow, that's dark. (laughs) So heavy. But it's such a good ending line. We started off with claiming that you're a fascist, and then we land with killing the podcast. This is great. This is great. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. ITunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 